If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Thanks for listening to the Best of the Herd podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday on Fox Sports Radio at noon to 3 Eastern, 9 a.m. to noon Pacific. Find your local station for the herd at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching Fox Sports Radio or FSR. This is the best of the herd with Colin Cowher on Fox Sports Radio. All right, here we go. It is a Monday. We are live in Los Angeles. It's the herd. A lot to talk about wherever you may be and however you may be uh, listening. Thanks for making us part of your day. Colin Wright, Colin Wrong, one hour from now. J-Mac, so close for your Jets. How do you feel this morning? Are there moral victories in sports? I feel like uh, Deion Sanders was asked that question over the weekend, and, or maybe his uh, his son, the quarterback, was. I don't know. It feels like a moral victory if you're allowed to have that. All right, so let's start there. Kansas City ekes by and beats the Jets in New York. So if I'm a Chiefs fan, I say we played poorly. Mahomes was off his game. We're on the road against the great defense. Uh, the opposing quarterback played out of his mind. And we won. Check. If I'm a Jets fan, I'm like, Zach Wilson. Hey, man, that guy was great. Refs did not give us a break. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Mahomes, we gave him nothing but trouble. And we overcame a 17-0 deficit. We should have won. I buy the Chiefs argument. Yeah. Kansas City's become LeBron. I don't really worry about an occasional regular season stinker. They'll figure it out. Kansas City last year lost to the Colts early in the season, had a special teams meltdown. The Texans were awful and took them to overtime. This week you had the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift relationship stuff all over the papers, all over the distractions. Listen, the Jets, I know you're, you're feeling great today. You lost. You weren't remotely ready to play. You trailed 17-0 at home. Zach Wilson still had the key turnover, a fumble late in the game. And when the Jets' defense, that great defense, had to make a stop, Mahomes toyed with it. 15 plays, 7 minutes, 24 seconds, and then to add insult to injury, he slides right before the goal line. He completely, completely 
absolutely got what he wanted. There's a reason Aaron Rodgers is in the building. The franchise moved off Zach. He's not the guy. So moral victories don't work for me. When you needed him to make a play, he fumbled. When you needed your Jets defense to make plays, Mahomes manipulated you for seven minutes and 24 seconds. Buffalo's three and one, they're better. Miami's three and one, they're better. New England already beat you. And now you got to go play Miami twice at Buffalo, at New England, Chargers, Cleveland on the schedule, Philadelphia too. Last night was a game there for the taking, and you didn't take it. Ask yourself this, when it comes to movies, if it has a great beginning and a great end, it's almost always a great movie, right? Kansas City, 17-0 lead, sealed it with a long drive. That's a good movie. Congrats on dominating the second quarter. I know I'm supposed to be Mr. Positive here, but Mahomes struggled. Zach Wilson played out of his mind for big chunks of that game, and you lost. In the beginning, Kansas City had a better game plan, better efficiency, jumped out to a huge lead, scuffled in the second quarter, a little bit in the third, but when it mattered, Mahomes, again, big drive. So you can see it two ways. I see it this way. A great franchise had an off night and still figured out how to have a great ending and win the game, get on a flight home. And a bad franchise with a quarterback they've already bailed on, let's be honest, they bailed on him, that's why Aaron's in town, outplayed for big chunks of the game in the middle, the Chiefs, but when it mattered, they fumbled and couldn't make a stop. So I, you know, I, I understand that everybody's taking these positives uh, away, but in the end, what do you have this morning? Another loss? Aaron promising he'll come back late in the season. Let's be honest, he won't. He can't. That doesn't work that way, his age and that surgery. I know, there's supposed to be a bunch of positives here. I don't see it. That game was the Colts game last year where the Chiefs stunk for big chunks of it. Colts beat them. This game was the Texans game last year. Texans took them to overtime. You couldn't make a stop. So you can talk about all the victories and the moral stuff. I'm not trying to be negative, but we know in the end what happened. What happened was Kansas City didn't play well and still won. That's what they do. That's what LeBron did in regular seasons. LeBron, for about a 10-year stretch, would end up in the finals, and that's why Kansas City ends up in Super Bowls. They don't play well. They're on the road. The other quarterback plays out of his mind, and they leave the building, fly back home with a W. All right, the other game that is worth noting so uh, Miami-Buffalo. So when you look at all these teams that we sort of, you know, we all kind of agree on teams that feel like they could get to a Super Bowl. You got San Francisco. You got Philadelphia. You got Buffalo. Um, uh, who did I write? You got Dallas. Um, you know, you got Miami maybe. There's six or seven teams we talk about. Only one of them is pretty weak defensively in terms of personnel. I love Vic Fangio for Miami, the coordinator, but their personnel is very average. They've allowed the fifth most points in the league. And so when you look at them now, statistically, I think Miami is built for track meets and not fist fights. They're not built for alley fights. And that yesterday was a little bit of that. If you look at the stats, first downs, time of possession, yards per play, passing yards, you would have thought this thing went to overtime. But if you watch the game, you saw Buffalo push Miami around. And that's really the issue. You can beat San Francisco, Philly. You generally don't push them around. 
You can beat Kansas City. You generally don't push them around. The Chargers offense pushed them around, and Buffalo pushed them around on both sides of the ball. And so Josh Allen in the red zone against Miami, it looks like varsity against JV. Miami doesn't have the dudes. They, in the last 12 games against Josh Allen, they're 10-2. and two. His passer rating is about 110. And in the red zone, it becomes so obvious they don't have the personnel to stop Josh Allen. He's just better than all their athletes. He's just better than everybody they have on the defensive side with or without Vic Fangio. And here's the thing. I love Miami still. Best watch in the league, arguably. They're a very strong offensive team. But this happens in September and early October. The weather's good. Remember, you scheme up your plays in the offseason. Andy Reid's one of the best September coaches of all time. You catch people off guard. You also, defenses don't tackle particularly well in September because now starters don't play in the preseason. You also, in the summer, you get quarterbacks, tight ends, wide receivers, running backs all playing together. Right? You don't have defensive guys that go meet in California and Arizona and stand around. So offenses generally have an advantage over defenses early in the season. Then the defense gets some film. They can exploit you. They find tendencies. The weather gets cool. And now, be honest, New England held Miami to 24 points and Buffalo held them to 20. So the two defensive coaches they faced have pulled them back down to earth. Now, Miami's speed is so phenomenal, there's no question about this, they're going to make Denver's Swiss cheese defense look awful or the Chargers' poorly coached defense look bad. But against Belichick and Sean McDermott and a decent pass rush, and now you don't get everything you want, and that's in September. Try playing those guys when it's 13 degrees and windy. So I think when I look at the Miami Dolphins, they're going to go probably obliterate the New York Giants in a short week next week. You can bet that game right now. Miami's going to probably obliterate the Giants. But I think through four weeks, when you look at the Miami Dolphins, here's what we have. Wildly creative, brilliant offense, much more built for track meets than street fights. Um, Early in September, they caught people off guard. They're going to win a bunch of games against bad defenses or bad defensive coaches, a lot of lopsided wins. But we do have a little tendency here. When you play McDermott's defense or Belichick's defense, it's just not quite as impressive. And when you face a great quarterback, which the AFC has Lamar and Josh Allen and Mahomes and Herbert, they kind of walk through this defense. Never forget, most of us thought the Chargers had that game won up and down the field. Buffalo did have that game one. So it's fun to watch. It's interesting. They're a track meet. I love Miami. But four games in now, we got a, we got a little sense here. You can move the ball up and down the field if you have an elite quarterback. And that's who you're going to face in the AFC playoffs late, an elite quarterback. Both Herbert and Allen up and down the field. And I think there's limitations to that. I think they're going to be a great regular season team. I'm sure they'll win a playoff game. But we got four games now. They, they're an avalanche against bad defenses, and they come back down to earth against good defensive coaches and good defensive cultures. And they have no answer for Josh Allen. Absolutely no answer for Josh Allen. Uh, J-Mac, it, it was interesting yesterday. You know, I've been on this thing for a couple of years about defensive coaches yeah. um, and how they don't do great mm-hmm. with young quarterbacks. And I still think New England doesn't really know what to do with Mac Jones. But you can't qualify, uh, quantify, you can't call Josh Allen a young quarterback anymore. And the truth is, Miami, he does whatever he wants. And Miami now has shifted to an offensive culture. So Brian Flores in Miami couldn't stop him. 
But Mike McDaniel's culture now is it's offense. That's what they spend their time at. That's what they're great at. There is still a huge issue for Miami. And Josh Allen does whatever he wants against that franchise. Yeah, the, the only guy who could stop Josh Allen is uh, Robert Sala and the New York Jets. They bottled up Allen, uh, intercepted him a bunch in the opener. Um, you know, Josh Allen's hanging 30-plus on anyone else in the league. Colin, I don't know. Bill's going to be number one in the uh, hierarchy tomorrow? They look really good. <laughs> well, I also think we have to be honest about this. Week one, throwing the garbage. I mean, Seattle looked awful. Buffalo looked awful. Like, there's some things you can take from it. But in the end, because nobody plays starters in preseason, it's now a 17-game schedule. Just take out week one, and I feel like I know what the league is. Like, week one, I'm like, I'm not sure what anybody is. And all of a sudden, now, the one thing we did see is Pittsburgh against the good defense, D'Amico Ryans, and then the Niners, like, well-coached defenses. Like, Kenny Pickett can't play. (laughs) Like, I mean, honestly, can't play. now. Steelers, oof. They were disgusting. But it's interesting, that week one theory. So, Belichick's used to be throughout the first four weeks. Remember, first September is like an incubation period. We see what's going on. You're saying now just week one is the only one just tossing out. I just think it's impossible to get your arms around it because offensive coaches, Sean McVay goes up to Seattle, and Pete Carroll has no idea what they're doing. They catch them totally off guard. Now the Seahawks and the Rams feel very similar. That game wasn't even competitive. Mm -hmm. So I think offensive coaches like Mike McDaniels got such an advantage over all these coaches scheming. And it's like now they've come back down to earth when they face defensive culture. So it's, you know, it's, this is what you have, but it's, I I found yesterday, I feel like I kind of know what everybody is now. Now we had a good blazing five, obviously, but I do feel like we're a month in after that Miami-Buffalo game, I kind of have a feeling, strengths, weaknesses, liabilities, shortcomings, I kind of feel like I kind of know the league today right now. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, FS1, and the iHeartRadio app. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% 
2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We talk about this a lot, that when you're a young quarterback in the NFL, you're trying to figure stuff out. You need all the support you can have from your owner, from your team, from your roster. I thought two defensive coaches did a really disservice, a really bad job for the young quarterback. So Chicago can't do anything right. Their defensive coach can't figure out defense. Huge problem. Time to go. So it's 28-28. Justin Fields gets you into field goal position. It's fourth and one. Kick a field goal. Give Justin Fields a win. Doesn't matter if he loses the game. It doesn't matter. He needs positive vibes. So Justin Fields bring you down fourth and one. Oh, super creative play. What a shock you don't have one. They fail. Denver gets the ball back, goes and kicks a field goal, and then you give Justin Fields the ball with about a minute left and say, hey, save us, kid. This is bad. You let him give you a 31-28 lead, positive vibes. The kid's getting crushed on radio, crushed on TV, crushed by fans. He gives you the lead. If your defense fails, Matt Eberflus, a couple years now, it's still awful. That's your side of the ball. If the defense fails, then the coach can get crushed all week. But give the kid a win. He got you in field goal position. He played pretty well for most of the game. Not great late, but pretty well. Lead you to a 31-28 lead. Positive vibes all week. If your defense can't hold it, can't hold anybody, that's a you problem. But you give your young quarterback a shot. Instead, it's an uncreative shocker. Uh, Run into the line. You do not put the ball in the hands of your best offensive skill player, which is Justin Fields. Didn't I rip the Charger coach last week for that? Give your star the ball. Move him. Pick up a yard. If you're going to run a play, if not, field goal, take a lead. You were in that game. You outplayed him. Fields had his best game as a pro. You had a chance to cap it, even if you lost that game. The last thing you remember is, hey, Fields got us down there. We led Justin Fields. There is hope for the future. Instead, he fails there. You put the ball in the wrong hands. These defensive coaches can't figure it out. Would you give your best player on a fourth and one the ball like Philadelphia Jalen Hurts? Yesterday, the Chargers, to their credit, on a fourth and one, I hated the call, but they gave it to Justin Herbert. You give it to a back. What are you doing? Okay, then Washington, huge underdog, goes on the road in Philly. Sam Howell has a great, great throw to get you within a point. So let's roll the tape on that. Great play by Sam Howell. Played his butt off. You're a huge underdog on the road. You don't want to go to overtime with Jalen Hurts and a better roster on the road. Go for two after this. Go for two. If the kid doesn't make it, the story all week is, hey, Sam Howell played his butt off. He gave us, nobody expects you to win this game. In fact, after this touchdown pass, if you failed on the two-point conversion, you don't get crushed for it. Those are hard to make. Instead, you kick the extra point, go to overtime, is a 10-point dog on the road against a better roster. Philadelphia was averaging 6.6 yards a play heading into overtime. You couldn't stop them anyway. They're a better team with a better quarterback and a better roster and a better O-line. So these are two great examples. Set your young quarterback up for success. When you're in a game at home and can take a lead, 
Do it for the kid. When you're on the road as a huge dog, Philadelphia's defense is worn out, been on the field, end of the game, and you can win it and walk out of there and steal a win and go for it. This is obvious stuff. This isn't deep contextualization. This is easy stuff. Just think about it. There's a difference between playing at home, playing on the road, playing a uh, division rival, uh, being a huge underdog, overachieving. It's amazing to me. Just two examples of defensive coaches that don't understand just basic stuff. This is why so many young quarterbacks are failing with defensive coaches. They don't know. I mean, Pittsburgh's a great organization. Kenny Pickett, you're two years in, he's regressing. He wouldn't be regressing if he had Mike McDaniel. He wouldn't be regressing with Sean McVay. How McVay is getting all these young backs, young receivers, young offensive linemen to play, you think it's coincidence? You think it's crazy that every time they bring somebody into the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan, they flourish? Christian McCaffrey's one of the best players in the league now. Half of you hated the trade. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It doesn't matter if you're at work or not, but if you're struggling at work, you're struggling in football, you're struggling, there become these moments where your bosses are watching you or your teammates, your employees are watching you, and you have a great moment and everybody's like, He's going to make it. Eli Manning had a few of these in his first three years when he was struggling. Uh, Zach Wilson, maybe that was the moment yesterday for New York. I don't think it is. I think they've moved off him, but he had a great moment. Justin Fields maybe got some allies in the building yesterday uh, with his performance. But I thought yesterday was a not only a bad day for Mac Jones, I think they've emotionally moved off him in New England, and I think they're going to draft a quarterback. So it has been reported New England coaches in the offseason were furious with Mac Jones. That's been reported for seeking advice outside of the building. That happened about a year and a half ago. The coaches were furious. It's well documented. I've been told his cheap shots, he was confronted by a teammate last year. Um, his teammates don't like the cheap shots to players. He's had four or five of those. And then you just watch him athletically. In the AFC alone, Josh Allen Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence. He looks junior varsity. He just doesn't have it. He doesn't have, can he be accurate? At times, he looks so overwhelmed against feisty, fast defenses, against the Jets, against the Bills before, uh, in, in this game against Dallas. I'm like, he's, he's pathetic. He, and so where are his allies in the building? When Mitch Trubisky struggled in Chicago, his teammates liked him. When Justin Fields has struggled at times in Chicago, a lot, it feels like his teammates like him. Where are the allies for Mac Jones? He was called McEnroe Jones at Alabama. He's ticked off the coaches. Basically, Belichick's just told Bill O'Brien, you have him. I don't want to deal with him. He's apparently, I've been told last year, confronted by a teammate over the cheap shots. Um... Nobody rushed to his defense this year. Nobody publicly defended him on the Sauce Gardner shot. And then you watch the body language. You watch him yesterday. I have never seen a Belichick team that listless with that little fight ever. Forget the score. That team had no juice, no energy. They weren't ready to go. Kansas City was struggling, but you could sense Mahomes yelling, talking, there's a body language quotient. There's a sense that Mahomes is never out of a game. You see this a lot with good quarterbacks and respected players. I don't think he has any allies in the building. I don't think the coaching staff loves him. I think he's short with people. I don't think, you know, he and Juju Smith-Schuster, like, don't work. Well, whose responsibility is that? 
make it work. If I'm going to criticize Aaron Rodgers for not working with young receivers last year, and I did, well, Juju Smith-Schuster's a veteran receiver. Max has been in the league now several years. Make it work. That's your job. A receiver can only do so much. Make it work. Mahomes makes it work. Burrow, Allen, make it work. Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen had drama. They talked it out. Now it's working again. That's a quarterback's responsibility. A wide receiver can only do so much. Josh Allen, you got to make it work. He did. And so I, I've, I've just never seen a New England team, no energy, bad body language. I mean, I'm not going to say they quit, but it's like, I, that effort now Christian Gonzalez got hurt that's a problem but here was Belichick uh, after the game he pulled Mac Jones and had to answer some questions so what led to the decision um, to take Mac out with 341 remaining in the third quarter yeah I think there was any point leaving him in the game and will he be starting next week against the Saints yeah I just so there's no point leaving him in the game so Bill was he was he benched for bad performance no. or was he pulled because... No, I said there was no point in leaving him out there, so I took him out. Not good. So I, I wrote down a list of the teams that I think are going to go and draft a quarterback early. We kind of know who it is. Like Atlanta, the Desmond Ritter stuff, it doesn't work. He's not a franchise quarterback. Las Vegas, Garoppolo's hurt. Aiden O'Connell's a backup. He's got something, but Josh McDaniels, you know, it's Vegas. They're going to go draft a big quarterback. It's a great college quarterback class. You know, and I was writing down all these names, some obvious, some not so obvious. Minnesota probably, if not moves off, drafts a quarterback. The Jets uh, probably at some point, not first, second pick, maybe third pick. they got to have somebody in the building. Um, I think New England's going to draft a quarterback. If you look at their roster, they need a speed receiver. They have no history of drafting them well in the first round. I think they're going to go get a quarterback. I, I, I think when you're losing, you got to have something. You got to have coworkers, coaches, culture. By the way, you think Bob Kraft likes all those cheap shots on his brand? That's bad for the culture. Mm-hmm. Belichick doesn't like him. He can say whatever he wants, but he doesn't have any allies. And that felt like a quarterback that just wasn't ready and quit. Did it not a little? Uh, I think the concerns are a little greater than that, Colin. So this is the third game this season. They have started completely flat. They were down sixteen nothing to the Eagles like that. Mac Jones was a big part of it. They were down 17-3 to the Dolphins instantly. And now they're down 28-3 to the Cowboys. Mac Jones, a heavy reason. But I'm not going to give Belichick a pass. And I got to ask you, third straight season, Belichick has started 1-3. and three. Last year, everybody can blame Matt Patricia, the rocket scientist. He's the reason. Oh, okay, Bill brought in, you know, Bill O'Brien. And Bill was the one who drafted, Bill Belichick, Mac Jones. Ultimately, this is all funneling back to Belichick. And I'll tell you now. That defense, a Gonzalez injury, if that's significant, oh, and no. Judon went down late. So you're talking your two best defenders are now out? Colin, they have the second toughest schedule in the league. I was here in September or August saying, hey, this might be a five or six win team. I, the Belichick hot seat stuff is going to be the topic but in Boston this my week. My takeaway, though, and I do think right now with Gonzalez out and Judon hurt, they're a bottom 7-8 team. And in that division, which is arguably Buffalo, Miami are two of the top five teams. It's very realistic to think they're going to have a top eight pick. Okay, that's fair. I think you have to draft a quarterback. Okay, the bigger question, Colin, do you let Bill Belichick draft a quarterback given he took Mac Jones? Mac Jones looks woefully unathletic in an era where you need an athletic mobile quarterback. And the Patriots offense looks stuck in the mud. He's going and giving Juju Smith-Schuster a big contract who can't separate. Matt can't run. He's immobile. Like, 
I, listen, Belichick has done a lot. He's the greatest coach ever, blah, blah, blah. Are you letting him make that pick at quarterback in the top seven? Well, if he has a top seven pick, he's not going to get Drake, May, or Caleb. But I think there's going to be a packing. I think the first five guys outside of Caleb all feel similar. If Sanders' kid doesn't come out, should or Sanders. I think there's Caleb here, and then I think there's like five guys. You could take any of them. If you got Michael Penix or Drake May, I'd be fine with both. I think Penix throws the prettiest ball in college football. So my takeaway is that draft was different. Mac was clearly the lowest ceiling of the Trey Lance, Justin Field. Like there was no, they didn't move up to get him. They just sat and waited. He right. fell to them. So that Mac Jones was clearly the least athletic. If you look at this draft, there's Caleb Williams and there's a gap. And it's a fairly sizable gap if Shadur Sanders doesn't come out. And I think you could take any of the next four quarterbacks. And if New England's in the top 10, because by the way, you have a great receiver, two great offensive tackles, maybe the best college tight end I've seen, and a great player, a defensive end. So you, if you have the 10th pick, you'll get a quarterback. Okay. Because there are, Harrison may be one of the best uh, receiver prospects ever. Mm -hmm. The O-line prospects, left tackle prospects are outstanding. So if you're in the top 10, you're going to get the third, fourth, or fifth best quarterback, and they're all kind of feel the same to Okay, me. but those quarterbacks you mentioned, Penix, Shadur Sanders, we could even toss in uh, the, the kid at Duke Riley who got Leonard. injured over the weekend. Like, I don't know if those quarterbacks are what Belichick wants. Like, he needs a pocket guy. That's what works in his archaic well, mind. Like, he's, he's playing like his team looks like a 1970s oh, offense. I know. That doesn't work in the modern era. Are you seeing the motion that McDaniel and Shanahan, they're, run, they're playing two different sports. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a problem. So I've been highly critical of Brandon Staley of the Chargers. More craziness yesterday. So true to his brand, leading by a touchdown, three and a half minutes left against a backup quarterback, and Khalil Mack is dominating the game. He decides to go for it deep in his territory. I would not have. But at least they ran the right play with a 6'5 quarterback, which is, you know, the Philadelphia shove, right? Like, they ran the right play. I would not have gone for it. But they ran the right play. They gave it to their best player. And this is his identity. He's going to go down with it, but this is his identity. He was true to his identity, and they ran the right play. Of course, Jalen Hurts squats about 600 pounds and is very small, hard to get a shot at. So maybe it's just the Jalen Hurts play more than anybody else in the league. So I wouldn't have done that. But you did the, the best you could with that decision after you made the decision. But the other part that's maddening is Asante Samuel then saves Brandon Staley with a pick. Could have gone for a pick six. That, that right tackle's not catching him. And he went down as Staley's on the sideline waving, waving. I don't know what he's waving. He looks chaotic. What is Asante Samuel doing? You lead by a touchdown. Pick six is 14. Khalil Mack is literally obliterating your offensive line. I don't care what analytics say. New rule on the show. If you can have a pick six with two and a half minutes left and go up by two touchdowns against a backup quarterback, you do. Always. I don't get it. Out thinking the room. You're facing a rookie quarterback who's a backup quarterback with an offensive line getting rolled. You, can, you, you think that, that team's going to get 14 points? contextualization so i i don't know i don't know what he was flipping flopping on the sideline what he was saying but this and by the way what happened unlike the chicago and the washington quarterbacks who are not good enough to save coaching i question justin herbert is and saved the day with a great third down throw to palmer for the first down again 
Herbert saves the team again. Like last week in Minnesota with the dubious decisions, Herbert is so gifted, so great, that without Austin Eckler, without Mike Williams, he'll still figure out a way to save the team. Uh, It's just, it's everything with the Chargers. Even the last two weeks wins. I can't stand these fourth quarter deep in your own territory calls. And in both games, your pass rush is getting a ferocious rush on the opposing quarterback. You're a defensive coach. You've got really interesting personnel. Khalil Mack was unblockable. Uh, but but Herbert in both instances, Sam Howell and Justin Fields aren't ready yet to overcome coaching miscues. They're just not. They're kids. Justin Herbert's young, but he's a, he's a star. So there are no easy wins with the Chargers. It's craziness every Sunday. Great TV, exhausting. Hey, this is Tom Verducci from Fox Sports, MLB Network, and Sports Illustrated. And I'm Joe Madden, and we're going to be around to talk a little bit about managerial decisions and what may have occurred in the dugout maybe in the 1980s. It's the Book of Joe podcast. I can't wait for this, Joe. We're going to dive into what goes on in the dugout and behind the scenes in Major League Baseball. Cars, wine, whatever else we want to talk about. Yeah, well, there are no boundaries, right? Listen to the Book of Joe podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Where Colin was right. Blazing five had a great week, four and one. We've won seven of our seven of our last ten after a rocky start. We took the Titans, Vikings, Jags, and Bills. The Jags, nobody watched. I did. I was up at six thirty in the morning Pacific time watching that ugly thing. Atlanta's bad, like one of the worst quarterback situations in the league. So we were uh, right down the board, and good 
God, were we wrong on the Patriots? We've won 7 of 10. We're on a roll. Where Colin was wrong. I bailed on the Buffalo Bills too early. I think it's the whole defensive coach thing. But in the last three weeks, Josh Allen has has been incredible. Now I get Josh Allen not throwing picks. His accuracy has improved. Uh, between Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs, they got a couple of tight ends I like. They are less dependent. That was a great play by Stephon Diggs, wasn't it? They're less dependent on Josh Allen running the football. So to, to Buffalo's credit, they're listening to their critics, and it looks like they're, they've solved some of their offensive stuff. Where Colin was right? June 27th, I said Dame to Milwaukee, not Miami. Dame to Milwaukee is the better fit. Miami is seen as the place to go. May I suggest, after some homework this morning, Milwaukee. If you send Dame, a smaller aging player, to the Bucks, Giannis is 28, Dame is 33, and that fits the championship model. Milwaukee's not as flashy. Maybe it's because they had a very quick exit. Miami doesn't work as well as Milwaukee. A dominant big and a great shooter. Yep, it worked. They made the deal. I thought back in June 27th, it was the better fit than Miami. Where Colin was wrong. I said, give Lincoln Riley another year. He'll get that defense fixed. It's worse. Outscored 27 to 14 in the second half. Gave up 32 yards to Colorado. 32 first downs. Colorado outgained Kayla Williams in USC's deep offense. Defensive coordinator Alex Grinch his units ranked 103rd, and they have absolutely upgraded defensive personnel, especially in the front seven. It's not a great, it's not Georgia. I'm not saying it's Notre Dame or Michigan, but they're not the 103rd best defense. And usually defenses with a big lead can pin their ears back and kind of know what the offense is going to do. They did and still couldn't stop Colorado. By the way, a week ago, they couldn't move the ball against Oregon's defense and Oregon's defensive head coach. USC's defense, to me, looks the exact same. Can't tackle, can't hold leads. It's ugly. Where Colin was right. When Christian McCaffrey got traded to the Niners, about at least half the people said they gave up too much, and I said, no, 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 no. You just gave the great artist, Kyle Shanahan, a blank canvas. Watch how great Christian McCaffrey is with Kyle Shanahan. He's got 20 touchdowns in 17 games. He scored in 13 straight games. Several touchdowns yesterday. I love when you give great offensive creative coaches more gifts and more presence. Christian McCaffrey, despite the critics and naysayers, has not only been worth it, it looks like a steal now as he has to be considered in the MVP race. Where Colin was wrong. I called the Bengals before the season a Super Bowl contender, and they're officially a mess. Is it Zach Taylor, the head coach? Joe Burrow still getting pounded and too often. Um, they upgraded their O-line. It still hasn't helped. Uh, three, basically, three offensive touchdowns in four games. They don't look prepared, well coached. Jamar Chase, the star receiver after, wasn't shy about complaining. In, in four games this season, do you feel like you've had less time to get open and create space for yourself? Nah, I'm open. I'm always open. Excuse my profanity. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nothing to be sorry for. 
where Colin was right. Never a huge fan of Kenny Pickett. I said, listen, he's not going to go to Arrowhead or Buffalo and outduel star quarterbacks. Now, I don't blame him entirely. The protection so-so, and Matt Canada, to me, is just not creative enough. But this is bad. He now has a 76 passer rating. Uh, he bails very early in the pocket. I don't blame him. Young guys get hit. They get tired of it. But Kenny Pickett, now injured, unfortunately, feels like he's come back. Again, this goes into my defensive coach, defensive culture. They just don't quite know how to elevate young quarterbacks. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But uh, Kenny Pickett, I've never been a huge fan of. It, it looks like he's a problem now. Where Colin was wrong. Well, I picked LSU to win the national title. Uh, they allowed 700 yards to Ole Miss and lost for the second time. They're now 0-2 against ranked opponents. It, it, it literally looked like a, a Mountain West game from the 80s. It was, <laughs> And Lane Kiffin can score points. I've always been a fan of Brian Kelly. I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. But, I mean, they, are, they can't stop anybody. Already two losses. Can't stop the really good offenses from ranked teams. I was clearly wrong. Where Colin was right? Well, I said June 8th. I thought the Celtics needed to move off Marcus Smart and to get a better offensive veteran point guard to work with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And that's exactly what they did with Drew Holiday. I think he's got a little bit more of a stable, predictable personality. That's important, and I think he's a better offensive player. Everybody on this show has loved Drew Holiday forever. He's just a he's a total pro. And this is, I think, putting Boston as the favorites in the East this morning. I think Drew Holiday's that good, and this is what I felt they needed. If Jalen Brown there was so much pressure on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to carry the team. Like, who's your third score? Drew Holiday is a dependable third scorer. Porzingis, a four, can be dynamic at times. This is what the doctor ordered, and the Celtics, who have been very well run for most of my life, landed a huge offensive-defensive piece, a great two-way player. And this morning, I feel like Boston is the best team in the East. Milwaukee right behind Miami. What do they have? They don't have, en they don't have en enough parts. They can't give up Butler and Bam. They don't have enough to give anybody. And the Celtics, between draft picks, Brogdon, Williams, Robert Williams did. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, FS1, and the iHeartRadio app. All right, Greg Olson is ready to go. 14 years. He's been a great analyst for us. We're so lucky to have him. So you had Cowboys and Patriots, and that thing was over by the second quarter. My, Greg, what jumped out to me as a consumer, as a viewer, is that um, Christian Gonzalez's injury is obviously a problem. But they were, they were listless. And this is the third time this year where New England just gets their doors blown off in the first 15, 18 plays. You tell me, aren't they, are they not scripting them? Is it an energy thing? What, what did you see from New England? This is the third time I've seen them get into these huge holes. You, you played in this league for a decade and a half. Who do I point at for that? You know, I think it's a good question. I, I think we, we said kind of at the start of the broadcast yesterday that if you're Dallas, you don't want to play New England style of ball, which, which is, you know, slow it down, ball control, trade punts. We saw New England was able to do that and beat the Jets, you know, in, in week three. But both teams came out. Dallas came down, went immediately down the field. Again, had red zone issues, struggled. But then in New England's first offensive possession, they hit a big play on a scramble by Mac Jones. 
They went right down, matched them field goal for field goal. So their first drive, which really turned out to be their only good drive, um, they actually started out fairly aggressive, hit a play-action pass to tight end Henry. Then they had a scramble. They got down there, couldn't punch it in. Kasicki just missed it in the back of the end zone. From that point on, their offense was was really inept. And, and I think it's a combination of Dallas's defense is really good. We knew that going in. But if they don't start figuring out who are the weapons, who are the guys in the passing game that we can rely on, they lined up on third, you know, third and six and seven. They're in three tight end sets, Colin. It's just in today's NFL, that's that's very unheard of. Um, but obviously, it's what they feel is in their best interest, gets their best players on the field. But they have to develop some talent. They have to develop some wide receivers to support Mac Jones or else, unfortunately, what we saw out of this offense so far through four weeks there's really no indication that it'll change. You know, it's interesting. You you get to me a fascinating game next week. I cannot wait to watch the Eagles, a talented team not playing particularly well. And the Rams, I don't know how talented they are, but they're playing really well. I mean, they really outplayed Seattle on the road, outplayed the Colts, outplayed the Bengals for most of it. So it's it's and the Rams are at home in this game, although it may be maybe a 50-50 a crowd split. But it is interesting watching Philadelphia. In all your years, we say this all the time, we know head coaches matter and quarterbacks matter. Sometimes we forget a Dan Quinn, a coordinator, or a Shane Steichen, a coordinator. And Shane Steichen leaves Philadelphia. And it you'll start looking at film here. It, it's it, Not that it's not productive, but there is something, it's just not quite it. I, I don't know what, you you tell me. Is Philadelphia hangover, Super Bowl loser hangover? Is it coordinator? We know the O-line's great. Do you see it? I mean, they are they are undefeated. What do you make of what you're seeing with Philadelphia? You know, it's, it's a good question, and I'm actually anxious to dive into it, um, you know, throughout the course of this week. As, as you said, they're getting ready to go out to L.A., and, and we're, you know, we're. I think that I agree. It's a sleepy good game. I don't think before the season we had L.A. playing in many major matchups, especially after last year, and then we find out week one Cooper Cup's going to be out. We'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, I think LA has kind of, you know, overachieved and, 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 you know, surpassed expectations. But for Philly, you know, they're not the juggernaut offensively through four games. They're not going out there and just bludgeoning people like we saw them do, you know, so often last year on their trip to the Super Bowl. But what I will say is what they've learned early in the season is, unlike a lot of teams in the league, they can win without playing their best. And I don't think we've seen Philly's best yet. And I think for the rest of the league, and especially the rest of the NFC, I think that's a scary thought. I think once they get familiar, there's some coaching changes. They lose both coordinators, you know, to be head coaches. I think there's always an adjustment, even though it's the same system. It's still a different play caller. It's still a different, you know, play designer. So I think as they continue to progress, if you know they got they got all the pieces, right? There's no question for personnel for them to be four zero not really play their best ball, not play even, you know, really to the level that we saw, you know, most often last year for them to be undefeated and, and really not say we've played our best ball. Um, I think is a testament to just how good they have a chance to be. And um, they can win different styles. They can win with defense. They can win with run game. They can win with Jalen Hurts throwing it. They can win with them, you know, running 10 quarterback sneaks. It's, it's a hard team to beat because there's no one formula to beat them. And, I think LA is going to have their work cut out for them, but with a healthy Stafford and McVeigh, and 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 you know if they can get cut back to go along with the rookie who's blown everybody away, it's a uh, it's a serviceable group, and and I think it's going to be a better game than people think. 
So, um, you know, you had a quarterback in Cam Newton that physically does a lot of the stuff Josh Allen does. And I think there were times when Buffalo was, like everybody else, didn't quite know when to say, hey, you don't have to put the Superman cape on every drive. And I think watching him this year, they're running it less with him. They're relying on other people. And Cam was part of that. Cam was so great. There's no, there's no comp. You don't know quite what to do. Pull the brakes. So I watch Buffalo, and I think to myself, maybe I, I do feel like they listen to all the critics, and they're like, we can't be as Josh-reliant. I think you guys with Cam sometimes I felt like that. It's like Cam was doing stuff nobody else could do, and you've been in those huddles. It's third and one. Just do Cam. And take me kind of through the struggle of when you have a historically transformational player and it is hard to sometimes coach him. Yeah, and it's funny that the coordinator up in Buffalo is Ken Dorsey, who for Cam's best years was our quarterback coach in Carolina. So there is a lot of crossover. There is a lot of familiarity. There's times where I watch, you know, just watching this highlight here of, of Josh Allen running it in versus the Dolphins. Like, there's a lot of plays that I recognize from our time in Carolina all those years back when Dorsey was with us. You know, we were in those tight end quarterback rooms drawing up different plays and ways to get Cam the ball. But I think you're right. I think the struggle you go through with a Cam Newton or a Josh Allen or any of those style players is when it is third and one, Colin, it's hard to make an argument that he doesn't keep the ball, right? <laughs> it's, it's hard that when the game's – it's hard to make an argument when the game's on the line, Josh Allen's not going to have the ball in his hand. Cam Newton's not going to have the ball in his hand. You know, whoever it is. It's hard for coaches. When, when push comes to shove, coaches are going to always put the game on the backs of the player they trust the most. And in Buffalo, there's no secret that team is based around Josh Allen. And he's one of the top, you know, couple players in the league, regardless of position. So it's inevitable. But I think throughout the course of the last couple weeks, especially since the opener when they struggled losing to the Jets on opening night, uh, opening week, I think we have seen them say, okay, you know, what? we have a lot of good players. You mentioned the two tight ends. That Dalton Kincaid kid, the, the rookie, yeah. he is, I think he has a chance to be special. I mean, he's just kind of finding his way there with Dawson Knox and Sharon, but you know, obviously Diggs, and, and they got a lot of pieces. I think they're saying, you know what? For the first three and a half quarters, we don't have to put everything on Josh Allen. He's gonna make his plays just because the the play, the you know, the offense runs through him. But when it's critical downs, when the game's on the line, when it when it comes to, you know, real moments in the game it'll that formula will never change you let your best players go out there and win the game and sometimes it doesn't work out but that that's not an it's not an indoctrinate it's not an indication that you know Josh Allen's not the guy because I think it's pretty clear that he is you know it's um I'm watching Justin Fields they go for it on fourth and one so this is my theory that sometimes defensive coaches can struggle with how to handle young quarterbacks so a couple examples yesterday is I didn't like the Bears. It's 28-28. Kick a field goal. Fields is getting crushed on talk radio. He's getting crushed by everybody. Let him walk off that field with a 31-28 win. If your defense can't hold him, the coaching staff can take a beating. Don't go for it. Your, your O-line struggles. This is not a creative play. By the way, if you're going to go for it, then let Justin Fields carry the ball and get the yard, not a running back. So I didn't like this. You tell me. The players always want to go for it, but I thought you had to protect Justin. He played his best game as a pro. Get a lead. Get off the – you're a defensive coach. Go make plays. Or am I just talking out of my butt here? No, don't know what I'm talking about. No, I, I think it's a I think it's a valid argument. I, I, I'm, I, I'm familiar with the play. D Denver had no – 
Denver had no timeouts. They didn't, right? they, but they had about three. They had time. Lots of, they had yeah, three so, minutes. But it, I, so, okay, but so they only could stop the clock once on the two minute, right? So I think the rationale is Russell Wilson just brought them back from down 21 or whatever yeah. they were down, and their offense was rolling. The Bears' offense had struggled. You know, he got hot in the second half. Russ and that, and that Denver, it looked like Sean Payton kind of got a feel for what they could do offensively. So the thought process by Eberflus there is, if we kick a field goal here, we give Russell Wilson, who we haven't stopped in the last two quarters, we haven't stopped their offense at all, we give them the ball, and at the very least they get into field goal range to extend the game going into overtime, it's a flip of a coin. Or at the, you know, at the worst case scenario, he leads them down two-minute drive. We've seen Russell do that over the years a million times, we lose. The rationale here is Detroit can't stop the clock. If we can get one yard, now we can talk play design, we can talk getting in the gun and just running inside zone, we could talk about being a little more creative on how to gain a yard. But the thought is, if they get that first down, they can in essence take that clock down, not all the way to zero, but they can take it below the two-minute warning. And if now if you settle for a field goal, or hopefully you pop one and score, now you're giving Russell Wilson the ball back with a, a minute, no timeouts, and it's just a different ball game. So I, I actually... In theory, it's your best chance to win, right? It didn't work out, so it's very easy to criticize the decision, but you can gain one yard and, in essence, end the game with Justin Fields. Now, you talked about you know, Josh Allen. I'm putting the ball in his hand. I'm running Q power. I'm having, yep. I'm telling him to pull it. I'm getting, I'm getting him on the move and give him a chance to maybe slip a guy in the flat on a zone read bootleg, or I'm giving him options. I don't know about just inside zone run, but that's a separate conversation. So I actually don't hate okay. the play from a strategy standpoint um, because you can, you can just go ahead and almost end the game right there if you can get one yard. Okay, so now I didn't like Ron Rivera's handling of, of Hal. So Hal comes down. You're on the road. You're a huge dog. You, he makes a great throw, and now I would go for two. I don't want to go to overtime yep. on the road. Big dog, Jalen Hurts. They have a better roster, a better quarterback. They kick the PAT, go to overtime. Now, again, I'm trying to be not be a backside driver. But to me as a big dog, if you can go to Philly and steal a win, that defense has been on the field, you'd go for two. If you lose, Hal has his head high. I played my butt off against Philadelphia, and we could have won the game. Would you have gone for two here or the safety PAT? No, in this case, you're 100% right. And I love Ron, right? Ron's my guy, but I have to be honest. You know, the truth is the truth. You have to go for two there. The, the, the narrative around ending the game with the two-point conversion, I know is a very, you know, it's a very easy thing because everyone always says their decision after the fact, right? You always right. say, well, you shouldn't have gone for it after you failed or, you know, vice versa. But in this case, you're exactly right. When you're the underdog, you're on the road with the way the regular season overtime rules go, you're a flip. You're a fifty-fifty coin flip from the ball going to Jalen Hurts, and he takes the opening drive down, and they yep. score, and it's over. Yep. So with the way the rules are in the regular season, you might now Washington did win the toss, and they had their chance in overtime, and they didn't score. But the point is, you just can't risk. You have a chance to end that game now. You've got a you know your play callers hot. You've scored thirty-one points. Your quarterbacks made big throws. Just came down. You got to have your best. Got to have it play from two yards, three yards out, and get the two-point conversion. If you fail, you tell your team in the locker room, hey, man, we're going to be aggressive. We're going toe-to-toe with a team that was, you know, in essence right there neck and neck to be the Super Bowl champs last year. This is a sign of how good we are. You string the game out against better teams, and over time, the better team is going to win. Okay, a third defensive coach. So they lead by a touchdown. 
the Chargers elect to go for it in their own territory, facing a rookie quarterback who's running for his life because Khalil Mack has six sacks. I think they least gave the ball to Justin Herbert, but I would have punted it. I'm going to take my chances. I'm facing a backup. The Raiders can't protect him. Make it a long field. Would you have gone for it here? Yeah, so these are this is where the analytics of football kind of intersect with just situational context of the game. So in a lot of cases, I would say, go get the yard, continue getting my four-minute offense and end the game. But everything you said is where the analytics now have to be kind of reevaluated. They're on a backup quarterback. You've only given up 17 points all game. You, um, Khalil Mack is sacking them five. Every time they drop back, Khalil Mack, one sack, when you punt it, one sack ends the game. Yep. So I think in that case, I'm with you. I'm punting considering the circumstances. Now, I'm playing Patrick Mahomes, and I got a chance to not give Mahomes back the ball, <laughs> and my defense hasn't stopped them all game. I'm, I'm, I'm doing exactly what Staley did there, and I'm keeping the ball and saying we're going to run the clock out, and I'm not giving Mahomes the ball back with three minutes. So every game, there's a little bit of context that what goes into these just black and white analytical decisions, but with the, with the way it was described and everything going on with the Raiders and, and their offense – I think you say, all right, defense, you've dominated all day. Pin them back, and if they go score a touchdown, so be it. Okay, so two you agree. Chicago, you make the uh, support of Matt Eberflus. You know what? If I could go two and one on my three picks every week, I'd be very happy with you, Greg. So (laughs) he's got Eagles-Rams this week, uh, Giants-Seahawks tonight. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of it. Seattle, Pete Carroll, Brian Dable, defensive-offensive guys. Hey, it's great seeing you. I always appreciate you stopping by. You're doing great work. I wish you'd get a closer game. Hope you get a closer game next week, but I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate it. I think we will. I think it's going to be a good one. I think the Rams, I think the Rams are, I think they're ready to go out there and compete. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. Thanks, Colin. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.